0: Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad.
1: <clears throat> Alright, welcome to the George Water Jr.
0: Show. Brand new week starting off, folks. Brand new week, as always, bro. <laughs> Something's crazy in the news and and uh, going on around the world, and it is just uh, awful. and I do applaud applaud these young children out here who are out here protesting, rallying, uh, demonstrating against uh, the Republicans who are trying to paint them as being bought and paid for or installed or indoctrinated by. Uh, liberals which is a total lie and a total farce the Republicans would go I mean they will spend no uh, uh, positive wasted time to try to defend uh, guns defend guns and it's just appalling that uh, while the uh, mothers and fathers were burying their kids Trump was down <laughs> was down the way in Florida playing golf. it shows you this guy doesn't give a damn about uh, life he doesn't he just doesn't care it's always everything is about trump. It's not about you me or the uh, the United States it's about him and he and and it's always he proves it every time that it's all about him making him look good. He doesn't give a damn about life, you know so you know, I mean, what else can you expect from Trump? Someone, someone says, "Well, we knew what Trump was before we, we elected him." No, we didn't. We did. We knew he was bad, but we didn't know that he was going to be voted as one of the worst presidents of uh, of the United States ever. He's been. Uh, it's been officially stated that he is one of the worst presidents ever. We didn't know that he was going to be. Uh, it, I mean, if we, whenever you make George Bush look good, something's wrong. You know but he's been voted and i totally agree he is one of the worst presidents in modern history i don't think he's one of the worst presidents i think he's you you can go beyond that this guy is one of the worst human beings uh that ever walked the face of this earth i mean you got people uh wishing he would drop dead literally honestly because it seems like that's what he wants us to do you know I've said this several times. The guy is the guy has a war with the American people, and he has a war, and it's been uh, uh, going on ever since he walked his ass through the door. And he's not ashamed to say it. The, uh, the thug Republicans in Congress—they're not ashamed to say it. It's it's all about doing in America in the name of Russia, and I do believe he is a Russian spy a Russian mole Russian something because he has not yet enacted the sanctions I mean he when he went abroad over when he went uh to a trip to uh meet Vladimir I mean it's like a love fest between them Trump was mush he was he was totally mush around this guy I mean he just fell in love with this man and we, we're all saying that, hey, wow, Russia, uh, Donald Trump is a Russian spy put in by Vladimir Putin to destroy America together. And that's what's happening. Trump will not say anything bad about this. Russia or this guy, he'll criticize America and Americans intelligence, the intelligence agency, including the FBI, the CIA, and all of these agencies that – have proven that there's been Russian meddling, that Russia actually got him elected. He won't believe it. And I, I always say, who is Trump to tell anybody what to believe and what not to believe? He's just a rich guy, supposedly rich, okay, allegedly rich. We haven't seen his tax reforms. We don't know what the hell this 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 guy might be broke. I'm hearing he could be broke, and he's in and he's in the red with Russia. He he owes Russia money. They're funneling in money through, I'm hearing, uh, the NRA, okay? Um, But uh, Trump doesn't give a damn about anything or anybody. It's about himself. If he says, if it seems as if he's trying to attempt to act as if he has some empathy, empathy, if it attempts, he says that he cares, he doesn't. He doesn't. The man is 71 years old. He's he is what he is. He's always going to be that way. Even if he says he's not, we know he's lying because Trump can be nobody but Donald Trump. And it's all about Donald Trump. I'm pretty sure he has something to say nasty about Black Panther. The movie that's a runaway hit. Um, a, a superhero movie uh with a cast of nothing but African-Americans, I'm pretty sure Trump and his uh, thugs in the White House are saying things under their breath about the movie because they're racist, they're white supremacists, so why wouldn't they? But, you know, it probably will not make the news. Uh, It might. These these people are stupid. So, you know, things come out of their mouth. They don't know what's coming out of their mouth. They don't know who's listening. They don't know who's going to leak it. So we might hear something racist coming from the right house on, uh, on the Black Panther movie. I'm not going to uh, put it past the president or any of the people in his circle. Okay. Um, okay, it says, here, it says here what I have. Trump directs Justice Department to take steps to ban bump stocks. Uh, that doesn't sound fit right with me. He's taking steps. He's been taking steps against Russia. <laughs> no other steps have been taken uh and i've always said this too that whatever trump says is not what he's saying because he can always change his mind someone can always whisper in his ear and he's he's going the other way with something it's always watching what he does more than what he says because trump talks out of his ass he doesn't know what he's talking about uh, majority if he's saying anything that's sensible it means someone around him has fed it to him. Trump doesn't have an original idea in his brain. He doesn't read. I mean, if he doesn't read, <laughs> it tells you right there he's being fed his information. Uh, someone is uh, dictating it to him. Some, uh, someone is reading the uh, documents, uh, the official documents of America to him uh, uh no, they're not reading it to him. They're just giving him an overview of what's in the package that he should be reading. Trump doesn't read, and I do think because he's not a reader, he's putting he – putting once again, he's putting America in danger because he doesn't read, and he doesn't want to read. He doesn't think he ought to be reading because there's too many yes men and yes women around him They can tell him – just give him an over, overview or a summary what's in uh, – uh, the information in the uh, information packet that he should know about. Not reading is very, very crucial for a president of the United States. He doesn't read. He doesn't like reading. I mean, I was watching Trump one day in a uh, from television uh, or a clip or something, television clip, and he was being handed something. And he <laughs> he, he 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 grabbed for it. But he did not look down at it to see what it was that they were giving him. And then he pushed it aside. The guy doesn't read. He doesn't like to read. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, it's all about him. Nobody but Trump. But, you know, this guy is totally, totally unfit to be in office. He's been officially voted one of the worst presidents of the United States. That's not the George Wilder Jr. show saying this. I'm just uh, agreeing with it, you know. I think he is one of the worst, uh, and 94% of the Americans do too, you yeah. know. And uh, it, it's, it's it's horrible, and I want to say congratulations to all the people who are uh, involved in putting this motion picture together. Black Panther, starring, uh, I believe, Chad Bosman, if I pronounced his name correctly. um uh, uh Black Panther we haven't seen it yet I haven't seen it yet so I don't know but uh you know I there was a chance I think we had a chance to go see it this weekend but I decided not to go because I didn't want to be among all those you know being a crowded noisy theater with a lot of people that were not uh, noisy you know so but uh when the crowds die down and and stuff like that then we'll go You know, we'll go and enjoy it. I think it's better enjoying a movie like this on the big screen. On the big than on a television screen in your house, unless you have a sort of like a uh, theater-like man cave or something. (laughs) That's okay. But I think it would be much better enjoyed on a giant screen. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know there's 50 and 60 inches televisions out there but a giant screen it would be great uh, to see it on a giant screen but if not you know i'll wait for a while we can wait for a while until it comes out on dvd it's going to be okay warning this piece contains spoilers we okay this is going to be it says here we have never seen a black superhero movie quite like black panther so when the producers set out to make this movie black panther they went out to do something uh monumental and it sounds as if they have okay while previous films like spawn and blade i got spawn i got i have blade yeah and series hancock have experienced box office success the origins of the characters had a similar theme in spawn the protagonist was dead before the devil transferred him into a superhero his special powers thus came from hell yeah i know i have the movie spawn I'm, i think it's totally totally underrated in blade movies in the blade movies the main character was a half vampire that is half undead his unique gifts were attributed to his partially being a monster in hancock the protagonist was an alien his exceptional traits were thus based on him being from another planet. However, in Black Panther, the central figure is Chadwick Bosman, the king of the king of the fictional technology technological technological advanced African country in Wakanda, is a is fully alive and fully human. Okay, this is admirable progress. After all, in the real world, the the value of black lives in America, Haiti, African nations, and elsewhere. You know, (laughs) yeah, shithole countries, as Trump once described. (coughs) Okay, but Black Panther's powers are not rooted in evil or or race-neutral or otherworldliness. His superhero strength, speed, and and reflexes come from the heart-shaped hub of his own African country. Black Panther highlights the possibility, possibilities of Black power. Sometimes that still seems like a fantasy at the times in the 21st century. I totally agree. But unlike Black Panther, the Black, the black superheroes in earlier popular films enable many fans like me to subconsciously take in the Blackness on our Screens without constantly thinking about what blackness meant in those movies and in our lives. As I can say, a lot of the racists, a lot of the haters in the country. I mean, I know they got something to say about this movie. We're gonna hear it. We're gonna hear about it (laughs) going forward. Believe me. I mean, you got haters. You got racists. You got uh, white supremacists in the White House. You got racists in the White House. You got racists uh, in Congress. So a lot of we know a lot of these racists and white supremacists are demig- demigoding, degrading this movie just because it's a all black cast, and it's phenomenal. It's breaking every record all over the place, you know. But we got some nasty people around who's going to try and uh, uh, try to break our spirits. I mean, you know, because the country. Let's face it, folks. This country is divided, and the Trump administration did it this Trump, this country is so divided. Uh, it, it's, it's a damn shame and he's dividing it even more. And he's not ashamed to say that uh, the country is being divided by a lot of the people in the white house, because a lot of the things that are, that are being done and said in the white house, you know, it's spreading out spreading throughout America. And that's wrong, especially racism. It's wrong. People should be coming together. Not, not, uh, being divided uh, like this, White House is doing, you know, and um, it's just a sad thing. It's just a sad thing. Anyway, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, we should have a great week uh, to uh, this week. My guest is Peter Spengatti gati if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, on the George Wilder Jr. Show, and we should have a uh, going forward. We should have a um, we should have a, uh, We'll be talking about uh, guests going forward. Other guests that, that will appear on the George will be on the George Wilder Junior show. And we were off uh, yesterday for President's Day. I just took it off because I felt that uh, at least I want to honor honor the past presidents because a lot of if it wasn't for some of the past presidents we wouldn't be where we are today. So you have to honor them. And uh, but not Donald Trump. Donald Trump has nothing to do with this. A matter of fact, as I alluded to at the beginning of the, at the beginning of this show, Donald Trump is at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to presidents of the United States, and there's been forty five Donald Trump being forty five and he's at the bottom of the barrel. I wonder how he feels about that. I'm pretty sure he doesn't agree with it, yeah, but the America does, and the rest of the world does. He doesn't think so, though. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being there. Thanks for being a loyal listener. And, you know, thanks for, uh, you know, downloading um, reading material that that was written by me. (laughs) Yeah, uh, thank you for that. A lot of people downloaded a lot of that stuff. A lot of my writings, um, even though it was free, but that's so that's still it's okay. I mean, it's great. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for reading. Thanks for those who have actually given me a you know a couple, maybe a couple uh, nice reviews um, on some of that stuff. But I've said, I've said, uh, I think a few weeks ago that that it was t- it was time to stop writing uh, fantasy. It was time, it was stopped. It was, wow, I can't even say it. It's time to stop writing fantasy. It's time to stop writing fiction because so much that is going on in the world is, um, is, is, uh, taking a front seat to all the stuff that's being made up. You know, even though some of the fiction is great fiction, but, uh, we have to write about, start writing about what's Actually, going on in America now, and it has to be real. You know, I do a lot of uh, horror writing. Uh, I think I've, uh, as for now, that is uh, going to be no more. I'm not going to do any more horror writing. I've done enough. I'm not going to do any more Maxine Monroe. I, I've done enough. Um, a few love stories, maybe, but uh, other than that, uh, it's going to be all about nonfiction. Because uh, what's happening in the world today, I mean, uh, this is going to go down in history. And I want to be a part of history. Once I'm gone, once I'm off the earth, I want to make sure that what I have written stays. I want to make sure that what I have written teaches and shows generations to come what happened in, in, in the 21st century during, during Donald Trump's presidency. I want to leave something like that behind instead of leaving something like Dracula behind. Dracula uh, and Monroe, Maxine Monroe, it's strictly entertainment. It, it's nothing but, an, it's me enjoying myself, uh, <laughs> enjoying myself, having fun writing that kind of stuff. And it was fun. I ain't, I'm not going to lie. Jesus Christ um, returned. All of this stuff was just fun to write. I had a great time. I mean, I wish you guys could have seen me as I was producing the stuff. I was having such so much fun. It was <laughs> making stuff up and <laughs> putting it down on paper and publishing it, you know. And um uh and getting pretty nice reviews from it, you know, um uh, getting pretty nice responses. I had a lot of fun and I'm always I always tell authors, um, If you're going to be a writer, make sure you have fun writing whatever you do. Have fun in it. And if you have fun, uh, once your writing is published and people start to read it, they're going to have a good time also. It's going to be entertainment to them. You've had fun writing it, and it shows, and they can see it, and they can read it, that you've had fun. Hey, wow. And uh, if if I couldn't have writing, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun, if it wasn't, if it didn't make me laugh or smile or make me say, wow, that's crazy, but I like it, you know, um, I would not do it. And I always tell authors the same thing, whether they come on the show or whether it's social media, whether it's in person, I always tell authors, you know, have fun. If you're going to write, writing is a beautiful thing. It, it's some, it's great. It's wonderful. I think uh, the more you write, the smarter you get, the more intelligent you become because of because you cannot write unless you are a reader. You have to be, you have to read. I'm not saying a chronic reader, but you just have to read. You have to read other stories and you have to, you know, have books and all this kind of thing. But it's fun. It's fun. Will you get rich at it? I've been t- <laughs> Will you make a lot of money writing? It's always that possibility. It's always that possibility, you know. Uh, but But unless you're Stephen King, Nora Roberts, uh, Danielle Steele, <laughs> these people get great big advances. or either John Grisham or something like that, or Robert Luglum, who is my favorite author, Robert Luglam. And uh, unless you're one of those type of people, uh, you know, just write for the enjoyment of it. You know I mean, when I first started writing, when I first started publishing, I mean, I did it to get rich. I mean, I started. I, it was not a hobby. I didn't see it as a hobby. I've had people tell me that you know, uh, George is a nice hobby, I, and I always tell them, I say, "Hey, I get paid for it. It's not a hobby. If you get paid for it, if there's a royalty check coming through the mail, it's not a hobby. But there's nothing wrong with making writing a hobby. But I think ma- I think most people, when they write and they publish, they don't go out. They don't want to be called a, a hobbyist because Writing is hard work. It's very, very hard work, especially if you're doing everything yourself. And I've, uh, you know, I've made mistakes in in some of my writings. I mean, some of it can be edited and re-edited and edited again. And that's what Stephen King does. I mean, you know, because uh, uh, especially if you're doing everything yourself, it, it's tough. It's tough. But uh, you want to put out there, when you write, you want to put out quality product want a product you don't want to put out something. I've read too many books even by some of the greatest writers in the world where you open up a book and you see a mistake on the first page you know and uh, and you would think these people <laughs> have great editors, right? Well I mean one time I had an editor for one of my books and they did a lot worse job of editing the book than if I had done it you know and that's why sometimes I edit my own stuff. And I am not perfect, you know, but um, someone once told me, George, it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make in, make in your work. It's just that we better be able to understand it when we read it, you know. And that's true. A lot of people will look over a mistake here, a mistake there, especially if the story is, is good, if it's potent, you know, and they'll give you a five-star review, a five-star review. What am I doing talking about writing? We're supposed to be talking about something else. What do you got there? Um, all right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show at 6:27 Chicago time. We're gonna do this, and we will be right back. Services Musical break
2: paid for through the Ukrainian president's political party.
1: Yeah,
0: this is bad some conservatives are trying to discredit outspoken the outspoken florida shooting survivors the kids they're dismissing arguments in favor of gun control by targeting the students themselves that's a damn shame uh people uh, a lot of these conservative talk show host pundits they're trying to to uh discredit or uh just uh call the students who are protesting these sh- these this shooting in florida calling them crazy or saying that they're uh after what seems like a never-ending stream of deadly mass shootings many gun reform proponents fox news you can say that fear that americans have become too desensitized to bloodshed to demand action on uh to end gun violence they don't want to give up them guns they don't want to vote on the guns uh it's, it's one guy i think it's the mayor of dallas He's he's telling uh, the NRA that he doesn't want their convention in in his city. He said go find some go find somewhere else to go unless you can talk about gun control. He doesn't want them there. Uh, a number of teenagers who have survived last week's massacre at uh, Majority Stoneman Douglas High School, in which 17 people died, have been outspoken in their calls for stricter gun legislation. And you got these assholes. Who are trying to say these kids are indoctrinated with liberalism, which is totally a bunch of bunk. And I I do uh, support these kids going out here, uh, uh, snatching a,
1: uh,
0: ripping a hole in, in in these stupid politicians who think that uh, they're crazy because they're out there protesting gun control because seventeen of their classmates were gunned down and you got people like paul ryan marco rubio who are bought and paid for politicians by the from the nra who are trying to belittle them uh as if they you know uh, hey they'll say something nice but they're not going to do anything concretely to try to uh uh strict uh uh, gun buyers, you you even got some gun owners in the United States who are actually giving up their guns. They have these AR-15 rifles, that, 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 the, the kind of rifle that was used at this school to massacre 17 kids. A lot of these people, uh, millions of owners own these type of guns, and they're destroying them. I mean, they're on YouTube. They're all over the po- media saying, hey, wow, well, I'm destroying my gun because I don't want my gun to be used in murder of anyone. These are people who – and I'm pretty sure the NRA is quaking in their boots because of this. And you have so many of these politicians who are bought – Donald Trump is bought off by the NRA. He's taking money from the NRA, and he's he's saying things, nice things about guns. But as I've said before, it's not what Donald Trump say. It's what Donald Trump does. Donald Trump can say anything at any point in time, and next thing you know, he's, he's having Alzheimer's, and he can't remember a damn thing he said, so he's going to say the opposite. So you don't watch – do not always listen to Donald Trump or if, if you listen to him at all, because it's not what he says. It's what he – watch the other hand. It's what he does. And it's just a shame that so many of these politicians are bought and paid for bought and paid for by uh, the NRA. And then they get their asses on television and tell us uh, what to do, not to do, and how to think when they're bought and paid for. They're puppets of the NRA. It's a sad thing when we have politicians who are bought, paid for. This is how they get their money. And And a lot of them, you know, like Rick Scott, the governor Rick Scott of uh, California, you know, he doesn't want to do anything about guns. I mean, he, he'll pander and say, "Yeah," he'll say what you want. A lot of these politicians will say what you, will say what they know you want to hear. But when it comes down to actually doing something about something, no way. They will say what you want, that what they know that you want to hear to keep you off their asses until the cameras are off. This is what going on so i would say the people is stay in their butts on this gun control thing because if you don't they're not going to do a damn thing about it and they're not going to care at any point about how you think or or what what has happened to your family and it's it's bad folks It, it is really bad we're living in a world where it's 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 okay uh well, it's not okay. Nobody's going can tell you that it's okay to walk into a school and shoot up the school. A lot of schools that are taking totally totally uh, a lot of security measures uh going forward and that and that's the way it should be. I mean my son's school I just came from my son's school today you know i mean when when I first got there, you know uh I just walk opened the door and just walked right in. I open the door and I walk right in, and that's way it it has always been at this particular school that my son goes to. I mean, it's it's a it's a beautiful school. It's a large school, and you just open the door. I mean, from the outside, you walk in. It's 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 a public school. What what can I say? You walk in, boom, the door's open. You walk right in, and even I'm you know I was questioning that. Why, is, why why in the hell is this door, it, anybody can just walk in and, and start shooting up the place? Yeah, casualties, you know, but especially after, after Florida, Parkland, Florida. I mean, I think every school in the United States should be locked down. But hey, this school is wide open. I mean, the doors were open, you just walk right in. And right then it came to me, Suppose I was a gunman and I walked into the school like that or 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 a gunman, a real gunman would walk in, just open the door and just walk right in. I mean, I do think there should be some precautions um, there, even though when I walked inside of the school, there's lots of metal detectors, you know, detect if someone's carrying a, a weapon or something, a nice gun or whatever. But still in all, you can walk right in. You know, and and that scared the hell out of me, especially after the, the massacre. And as I just got through saying the massacre in Florida, but I'm pretty sure they're taking a lot of precautions, um, security precautions now. Uh, I mean, public schools, just like public libraries or, or any public uh, facility, City Hall or something like that, the state of the Illinois building or, 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 or Capitol building. Uh, these are open to the public. Anybody can just, you know, walk on in. And that's the way uh, they're always going to be. But I'm pretty sure that a lot of uh, security measures are going to be taken more seriously now. OK, you've been listening to the George Wanda Jr. show on Black Talk Radio. And it's great to be back on the radio, folks. I was off off yesterday for President's Day and uh, it was, we had a great time. We had a beautiful time just hanging around the house because it was raining and snowing and it was cold. And it, is, it was 60 degrees today. It was in the 60s today in the city of Chicago in the middle of February, 60. And uh, it was great. It was beautiful. But however, there was one uh, bummer. It rained (laughs) all day. So you really couldn't actually get out and enjoy it the way you wanted to enjoy it because the rain ran you right back in. But anyway, uh, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. It is all about making the world a better place. Your show is now on the air. This is the Talk About Times, the Talk About Times. Let's talk, everybody. Broadcasting from Chicago. This is the Talk of About Times. Yeah.
3: ...rested for Walking While Black. Um, so well, I get a, a, it. A lot of songs have been... Arrested. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it doesn't make me, you know, you can't buy your way out of this one. You can't educate your way out of it. Um, it's, just it's happening too much, or at least we know about it now. It's, it's always happened. Um, we see more evidence of it. And too often people still are inclined to say, well, if he'd had a different attitude, well, if he hadn't been driving, well, if he hadn't been this, if he hadn't been that. Almost as if the victim is partially to blame, you know, mm-hmm. in the case of Garner. Well, he shouldn't have resisted. In the case of Brown, well, where was he? In the case of Trayvon, well, he had a hood on, you know, in, in, in the case of whoever. You know, in case of uh, Sandra Bland, you know, well, her attitude was better. It's like, no, stop. Stop. This has nothing to do with the victims. This has everything to do with the culture of demeaning a person of color. And, And there is no justification for a society where my son has a far greater chance of being stopped, held, killed than your son simply because he's black.
4: I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. I'm confident now, even more so than I have been throughout the last year, that this nightmare presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon, and I am thus also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. The important stuff first. There are seven routes in front of Trump. Each inevitably ends in his impeachment or resignation. The first, the likeliest, became a thousand times more likely with the Thanksgiving news of a possible deal between Robert Mueller and General Michael Flynn. As I reported here as long ago as April 4th, the most specifically qualified expert alive on the subject of prosecuting a president, my friend, the Nixon White House counsel, John Dean, put it to me very simply, Mueller is not shooting down Mueller does not make a deal with Flynn to get Paul Manafort. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Jared Kushner. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Trump Jr. Mueller makes a deal with Flynn to get Donald Trump, period. The Flynn Deal report suggests Mueller has completely assembled the backbone of his case and is now just hanging the meat from it. And just as importantly, if Flynn has merely considered a deal from Mueller, it almost necessarily means Flynn either doesn't believe he would get a pardon from Trump or that Mueller, as I've also reported here, has succeeded in finding a way around Trump's pardon power. And either of these near-certainties spell Trump's doom. So that's the most obvious of the seven ways for Trump to go now. Mueller really will get him on Russia. It will be ugly, and it will tear this country nearly apart, but it will be necessary. The second way is, as I have also repeatedly suggested here, that Mueller doesn't really need to prove anything about Trump and Russian sabotage of the election. There seems to be so much obstruction of justice, from the firing of James Comey to the lies about Trump Jr.'s meetings with the Russians, that it's hard to pick out a key player in the Trump inner circle who could not be guilty of it. Trump could be impeached on just obstruction of justice and a few lesser charges, Nixon was about to be. Or there is a third way. We could be spared the trauma of a Russia impeachment or an obstruction of justice impeachment as we were spared it with Nixon. If Trump is smart or just sufficiently scared enough and he resigns, or if he isn't, those around him who could still sell themselves by selling him out will force him to resign. A modified version of this, of course, is the fourth possible outcome that even if Mueller is months away from his denouement, the Republicans will impeach or remove Trump by spring purely to save their own asses. The state elections in Virginia and Oklahoma earlier this month show what could face Republican incumbents nationwide next November. Not only were Democratic victories overwhelming, but half of them were little morality plays. The 26-year-old lesbian beats the Republican in the district Trump won by nearly 40 points a year ago. The transgendered candidate in Virginia beats the guy who wrote an anti-equality bathroom bill. The boyfriend of a news reporter shot to death on camera beats the Republican pro-NRA candidate. I'll say it again. Richard Nixon was not forced out of office by Democrats, not really even by Watergate. Democrats controlled the Senate and the House. Every day Richard Nixon was president. They could have impeached him at any point. He resigned when the leading Republicans went into the White House and told him that not only would he be impeached and convicted, but he would take all of them down with him and they were not going to let him do that. So that's the fourth way out. Trump becomes more of an albatross to Republicans and more importantly, more of a rallying cry to Democrats and the Republicans remove him before the midterms and then, boastfully, run for re-election on having removed him. The fifth endgame is the same thing, only faster. The Republicans around him pull off that palace coup that is perfectly legal under the 25th Amendment, and Mike Pence and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell eject Trump by simply stating he is unfit and getting their majorities to agree he's unfit. And if you don't think Pence and Ryan and McConnell would do that, you didn't see Trump's crazy tweet about the Man of the Year award or this thing in front of the Native Americans on Monday, and you you don't know Pence and Ryan and McConnell. The sixth means by which Trump leaves early is, of course, that if the Republicans don't impeach Trump before the midterms, the Democrats will be able to, after the midterms, If Virginia and New Jersey and Oklahoma are indicators, the Democrats could take the House and might need as few as 25 vulnerable Republicans in the Senate to vote guilty to remove Trump from office. But now there is a seventh new path to destruction for Trump, and it has bubbled up from the sewer of his life recently. And even with how Teflon he has been on this particular subject, it seems hard to believe the dam won't break. His sexual conduct. As not one snowball, but a decade's worth of them have come down that hill, wiping out all the sleaze bags and emboldening and empowering the victims, it seems impossible to believe that some claimant somewhere does not have tangible evidence against Trump and that they won't say to hell with it and break one of those non-disclosure agreements and Trump will suddenly be envying Harvey Weinstein. Trump himself inadvertently has hinted at this. The New York Times buried the lead on this over the weekend but it reported that earlier this year, Trump told a senator that the Access Hollywood pussy grabber tape was a fake. And he has said the same thing again recently to a White House staffer. He's obviously trying to work the refs of public opinion in advance for whatever is coming next, from a woman here or from Russia. So, I don't see any way out for Trump. Seven freight trains rushing at him. He might avoid a few, he might avoid six of them. He's not going to dance his way out from under all seven. And we, I think, should try to put ourselves in the mindset of those Americans who knew Richard Nixon was guilty as hell after John Dean finished testifying on June 27, 1973, but we're all left wondering if there would ever be a way to prove it. And we're left listening to a majority of the country saying Dean was lying, and left watching nearly the entirety of the gullible news media saying this was nonsense. Why would a president, even one as crazy as Nixon, ever do this? And more importantly, even if he were somehow guilty, how would he ever be dumb enough to leave any evidence of his guilt? And 16 days later, it turned out. Virtually everything in the Oval Office had been taped, and the ball game was over, even though it would last another 13 months. Well this ball game is also over, and I don't think it's going to last another 13 months. And so this series is over. This was intended as something temporary, a two-month project by somebody who had given up politics. And instead it became 187 commentaries, and around 225,000 words, and something approaching 400 million views. And I am proud of it, and I repudiate none of it, and it has been my privilege to do it, and I'm especially proud to have done these videos for free and for charity. But frankly, I have not enjoyed one minute of it. As I'm certain it has also been for you, for me it has been unadulterated pain and revulsion and horror. The process has become nearly 24-7, and I've said so much that I can and have recycled old commentaries from months ago, and they have been fully applicable to breaking news. We've come full circle to such a complete degree that on Sunday, Trump tweeted a complaint about, quote, Russia, Russia, Russia. The title of the 46th episode of The Resistance from last March 14th was, quote, Russia, Russia, Russia. I've made my point. So now that I think the outcomes, the seven different inevitable outcomes, are unavoidable, I'd like to go back and enjoy some of my life again, and I'm going to. No illness, no scandal, no firing, just I've said what I've had to say. It was as obvious as I made it seem. I give my work everything I can, so it's not like I can dial it back. And I think even this dim-witted world of American political TV reporting, which is still calculating how to get Trump's idiot supporters to watch their networks and still waiting for Trump to pivot, even it can carry this the rest of the way. So I am retiring from political commentary in all media venues. This is not to say a bed of roses and reconciliation awaits us. The post-Trump America will be relieved of his prodigious evil, but in its place it will have Trump as living martyr. That prodigious evil and rank hypocrisy and immorality of his supporters, perhaps a third of us, will not vanish with him, and I'm not sure that the democracy has not been damaged too much to deal with their lawless, unprincipled rebellion, and I do not see this country's politics truly healing in the next 30 or 40 years. But at least the bleeding will be staunched, and we will have a chance to alter a phrase I heard somewhere, to make America, America again. Thank you for all the kind words and all the support.
0: Thank you, the uh, Keith. The
4: castle. My work here is done. <laughs>
0: Thank you, man.
4: Matter of fact, all right, take care. so is Trump's. Resist.
0: Hopefully. Remove, He's still there. Peace. All right, that was Keith Overman. And... Um, as always, he, he's not a Trump lover. He can't stand Trump. Uh, not too many people can. Anyway, <laughs> you've been listening to the George Wilder Junior Show on blog Talk radio. And it seems like such a somber day, you know, I mean, I, I can still feel some of those some of the pain that those kids are feeling from this uh, Parkland shooting and how some of these Republican conservatives assholes are discrediting. A lot of these children because they're speaking up as if 16 and 17 year old children are not supposed to be doing rallies and protests and talking against the NRA and trying to get something done in this country. That's just crazy. So the same people who want to, um, who want to put up a wall saying a four year old, a 14 year old was not mature enough to to sleep with Roy Moore are now saying 16 to 17 years or aren't mature enough to talk about gun control. Boy, I tell you, this country is so backwards. You got people like Jack, Jack, Jack Kingston or Kingsley or whatever the hell his name is, racist pig, um, uh, saying that these kids are shouldn't be out there protesting. It must be liberals putting them up to it. And the kids are shooting back saying, you're a puppet, you're an idiot, you're an asshole. And that's not true. We're out here, there's nobody putting us, putting us up against anything. We're doing this on our own. Our colleagues, 17 of our uh, classmates were shot down and we can't get out here and protest. You know, uh, Jack Kingsley and all of these assholes like them. Should go somewhere and bury themselves, do something, you know. Anyway, uh, I have a clip here by um, Bernie Sanders, and I basically call it "People Will Die." We're talking about Trump's budget, and it's an awful budget. And Bernie Sanders is 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 talking directly to Trump's. Um, Budget director, some guy named Mavani Mahoney or something. I, I really don't try to remember anybody who's working for Donald Trump because I have the feeling Donald Trump will not be in office too long. But anyway, this is Bernie Sanders speaking, uh, uh, basically saying this is a budget where people will die, and um, he's right. I, I, I he's right. I mean Bernie is is on on spot on here, you know and and Mulvaney is trying to find his footing, you know, he wants us to think that he knows what he's talking about and he doesn't. OK, here's Bernie Sanders on people would die if Trump's budget is implemented. And he said it will not be.
5: Trump's favorable ratings are the lowest, I believe, for any president who has served a length of time that he has served. So people look at Washington and they don't see much that they feel very good about. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that which this budget really demonstrates. Number one, there are politicians who run for office and they say one thing. Uh, President Trump when he was a candidate ran for office and he said I'm a different type of Republican. I'm not the Mick Mulvaney type of Republican, I'm different. I'm going to stand with working families, we're going to take on the establishment, and so forth and so on. Well, it turns out, he did exactly the opposite, and this budget is a clear manifestation of him doing exactly the opposite. Uh, And second of all, I think what the American people understand is their one vote, their one voice, matters relatively little in a Congress which is dominated by big money, wealthy campaign contributors, the Koch brothers, going to spend some $400 million in the coming campaign. And you know what? This budget is the budget of the Koch brothers. It is the budget of the billionaire class, and the American people understand it. This is a budget which will make it harder for our children to get a decent education, harder for working families to get the health care they desperately need, harder to protect the air that we breathe and the water we drink, and harder for the elderly to live out their retirement years with dignity and respect. This is not a budget, as candidate Donald Trump talked about, that takes on the political establishment. This is a budget of the political establishment. This is the Robin Hood principle in reverse. It is a budget that takes from the poor and gives to the very wealthy. During the campaign, as we'll all recall, Donald Trump told us that, quote, the rich will not be gaining at all, end quote, under his tax reform plan. Rich will not be gaining at all. But as president, the tax reform legislation Trump signed into law a few weeks ago provides 83% of the benefits to the top 1%, raises taxes on millions of middle-class families and drives up the deficit by $1.7 trillion by the end of the decade. And if you were wondering how President Trump plans to pay for his massive tax cuts to millionaires, billionaires, and large corporations, this budget answers that question for you by breaking his campaign pledge not to cut Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. In fact, President Trump's budget would slash Medicaid by over 1.3 trillion dollars, cut Medicare by over $500 billion, and reduced Social Security by nearly $25 billion. Mr. Chairman, as you know, Medicaid now pays for more than two-thirds of all nursing home care in our country. What happens to senior citizens who have their nursing home coverage paid for by Medicaid if that program is cut by $1.3 trillion? Think about it. People now in nursing homes with Alzheimer's, serious illnesses, massive cuts. What happens to them? What happens to their families? And it's not just seniors. Today, Medicaid covers millions of children with special needs. We are the only major country on Earth not to guarantee health care to all people, and this budget would then throw millions more people off the health insurance they have. We have an opioid epidemic that every person up here talks about every day, but when you slash Medicaid by a trillion dollars, you make it infinitely harder for communities, cities, states to deal with this terrible crisis. During his campaign, Donald Trump told the American people that he was going to provide, and I quote, health insurance from everybody, end quote, with much lower deductibles. But President Trump's budget would throw an estimated 32 million people off the health care they currently have. 32 million people. And at the same time, it would substantially raise premiums for older Americans. Mr. Chairman, what this budget is about is a massive transfer of wealth from working families, the elderly, the children, the sick and the poor, and the most vulnerable people in our country to the top 1% and large corporations. As a candidate, Trump said that he understood the pain that working families across the country were feeling. Well, Mr. President, you are not responding to that pain when you propose a budget that would throw over a million children off after-school programs. You're not a champion of working families. You're not responding to pain when your budget would kick a half a million families out of their homes by gutting affordable housing. We have a massive crisis in affordable housing From coast to coast, this budget would make it much, much worse. You don't help working families, Mr. President or Mr. Mulvaney, by throwing more than 100,000 children off of Head Start. We need to move to universal pre-K. Every family in America should know that their kids have good quality child care. You don't throw 100,000 children off of Head Start. You don't help working families when your budget would eliminate financial aid to more than a million and a half low-income college students. Kids are graduating school, 30, dollars dollars $100,000 in debt. This budget makes their problems even worse. You're not a, quote, different kind of Republican by proposing a budget that would eliminate heating assistance to nearly 7 million families in this country. Let me tell the President, Mr Mulvaney, it gets cold in Vermont in many other parts in this country. Many of our elderly people keep warm in the wintertime through the low-income heating assistance program. Don't eliminate it. Mr. Chairman, while President Trump tells us we don't have enough money to help the working people of this country, he does believe that we have enough money to provide a massive, massive, massive increase in the Pentagon, an agency of government that has not been able to do an audit and where study after study shows us that there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in waste. So, Mr. Chairman, the good news is this budget is going nowhere. Everybody knows that. But it does indicate where Trump and his friends are coming from. And the American people have got to understand that. And we've got to stand up (laughs) and say, no, these are not the priorities of of this country. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Sanders. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You know, uh, budgets deal with trillions of dollars and thousands of pages and words after words after words and numbers after numbers after numbers. But the truth is, as I'm sure Director Mulvaney knows, um, these numbers have real meaning to the lives of ordinary people. Mr. Chairman, I want to put into the record, if I might, an article from PolitiFact Uh, dated June 27th, 2017. Without objection. And without going into all of what the article says, it basically confirms that when you throw many millions of people off of the health insurance they have, thousands of them will die. This budget calls once again for the repeal of the Affordable Care Act, the estimate is that some 32 million Americans will lose their health insurance. And what study after study shows is that when you throw 32 million people off of their health insurance, tens of thousands of them will die. Will die. Director Mulvaney, tell me about the morality of a budget which supports tax breaks for billionaires throws 32 million people off the health insurance they have, resulting in the deaths of tens of thousands of fellow Americans. Do you really think this is something that we should be doing in the year 2018? Actually, I don't think it's something that we're actually doing, Senator. Um,
2: Again, I'm not familiar with the article uh, that you've mentioned. My guess is that it references the CBO report uh, regarding various Republican proposals to repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, I do remember one of the major points of contention regarding the way the CBO scored the proposals was that it would assume that several tens of millions of people would be, to use your terminology, kicked off of health insurance by the repeal of the individual mandate. And when we drilled down into that, Senator, what we found was that the CBO assumed That if we got rid of the individual mandate, that millions of people would voluntarily give up Medicaid expansion. Mr. Mr. Director, I
5: apologize.
2: We just don't have a whole lot of time. This is not the answer
5: your question. No, and I understand the individual mandate. This goes beyond. You're proposing a cut of over a trillion dollars in Medicaid. And independent analyses have indicated we can argue about nobody knows for sure. Is it 25 million people are going to be thrown off? 30 million? I don't know, to be honest with you. You don't know. But what we do know is when you throw tens of millions of people off they will die. Some of them will die. Studies show that thousands of them will die. And I would just suggest that in the United States of America, the only major country not to guarantee health care to all people, we should not be making a very bad situation worse by throwing tens of millions of people off of health insurance. Let me ask you uh, another question. Uh, Mr. Director, according to Americans for Tax Fairness, the Koch brothers, the third wealthiest family in America, uh, worth $94 billion, and a family dedicated with a few of their billionaire friends to put hundreds of millions of dollars into the coming election, will receive a tax break of up to $1.4 billion a year from the Trump tax plan. Meanwhile, this budget eliminates funding, as I indicated earlier, for the LIHEAP program that keeps almost seven million families warm in the wintertime. And the vast majority of these families have children, or they are senior citizens, or they are people with disabilities. Explain to me the morality of a process by which we give the third wealthiest family in America, a major contributor, I might add, to the Republican Party, over a billion dollars a year in tax breaks, and yet we cut a program which keeps children and the elderly warm in the winter. Here's the morality of the lahi proposal, um, Senator. Um,
2: 11,000 dead people got that benefit the last time the GEO looked at it. That's not moral. To
5: take your money, to take my money, to take the money from the people... 11,000 because- people got it who shouldn't have. Correct that. But 7 million people get the program. To say that 11,000 out of 7 million deal with that, I agree with you.
2: All, all 50 states now have individual programs designed to prevent the, the cutoff of utilities either during the summer in You're the south have, or the winter in the north, which is exactly what the LIHEAP program was
5: originally designed to Mr. do. Mulvaney, oh, when it gets 20 below zero, I come from a state which tries to do its best. Vermont and other states around this country, including Wyoming, don't have the resources to keep people warm when it gets 20 below zero. You have just created a situation, not you, the president takes must take responsibility for this budget. Created a situation where people will go cold, some may freeze to death. And that is not what we should be doing in America. Chloe Kim, a first-generation American who won a gold medal for the United States in the women's half-pipe snowboarding event this week. Her father, Jong Jin Kim, emigrated from South Korea to the United States in 1982, became a dishwasher at a fast food restaurant, studied engineering at El Camino College, after working at low-skill jobs and then became an engineer. He left his engineering job to support his daughter's snowboarding ambitions so that he could drive her five and a half hours to the mountain for training. Congratulations to Chloe and to her entire family. You make the United States proud. Madam President, the whole debate that we are now undertaking over immigration and the DREAMers has become somewhat personal for me because it has reminded me in a very strong way that I and my brother are first generation Americans. We are the sons of an immigrant who came to this country at the age of 17, without a nickel in his pocket. A young man who was a high school dropout, who did not know one word of English, and who had no particular trade. And a few years ago, my brother and I and our families went to the small town that he came from, and it just stunned me the kind of courage that he showed, and millions of other people showed, leaving their homeland to come to a very different world, without money in many cases, without knowledge of the language. Now my father emigrated to this country because the town that he lived in, in Poland, was incredibly poor, there was no economic opportunity for him. People there struggled to provide food, put food on the table for their families. Hunger was a real issue in that area. My father came to this country to avoid the violence and bloodshed of World War One, which came to his part of the world in a ferocious manner and he came to this country to escape the religious bigotry that existed then because he was Jewish. My father lived in this country until his death in 1962. He never made a lot of money. He was a paint salesman. My father was not a political person, but it turned out that without talking much about it, he was the proudest American that you ever saw. And he was so proud of this country because he was deeply grateful that the United States had welcomed him in. And allowed him opportunities that would have been absolutely unthinkable from where he came. But the truth is that immigration is not just my story. It's not just the story of one young man coming from Poland who managed to see two of his kids go to college and one of his sons become a United States senator. It's not just my family's story. It is the story of my wife's family who came from Ireland. And it is the story of tens of millions of American families who came from every single part of this world. Madam President, in September of 2017, President Trump precipitated the current crisis we are dealing with by revoking President Obama's DACA executive order. If President Trump believed that that executive order was unconstitutional and that it needed legislation, he could have come to Congress for a legislative solution without holding- eight. 100,000 young people hostage by revoking their DACA status. But President Trump chose not to do that. He chose to provoke the crisis that we are experiencing today. And that is a crisis we have to deal with, and here in the Senate, we have to deal with it now. And let us be very clear about the nature of this crisis. Because some people say, well, it's really not imminent. It's not something we have to worry about now. Those people are wrong. As a result of Trump's decision, 122 people every day are now losing their legal status. And within a couple of years, hundreds of thousands of these young people will have lost their legal protection and be subject to deportation. The situation we are in right now as a result of Trump's action means that if we do not (coughs) immediately protect the legal status of some 800,000 dreamers, young people who were brought to this country at the age of one or three or six, young people who have known no other home but the United States of America. Let us be clear that if we do not act and act soon, These hundreds of thousands of young people could be subject to deportation. And that means they could be arrested outside of the home where they have lived for virtually their entire life and suddenly be placed in a jail. They could be pulled out of a classroom where they are teaching. And there are some 20,000 DACA recipients who are now teaching in schools all over this country. And if we do not act and act now, there could be agents going into those schools, pulling those teachers right out and arresting them and subjecting them to deportation. Insane as it may sound. I suppose that the 900 doctor recipients who now serve in the United States military today could find themselves in the position of being arrested and deported from the country that they are putting their lives on the line to defend. And some people say, well, that's far-fetched. Well, I'm not so sure. It could happen. How insane is that? But that's where we are today, and that's what could happen if we do not do the right thing. And this week, pass legislation here in the Senate to protect the dreamers. Madam President, we have a moral responsibility to stand up for the dreamers and their families. And to prevent what will be an indelible moral stain on our country if we fail to act. I do not want to see what the history books will be saying about this Congress. If we allow 800,000 young people to be subjected to deportation, to live in incredible fear and anxiety. But here is the very, very good news regarding the dreamers. And it's actually news that I, a couple of years ago, would not have believed to be possible. And that is, Madam President, that the overwhelming majority of the American people, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, absolutely agree that we must provide legal protection for the DREAMers, and that we should provide them with a path toward citizenship. That is
0: Alright, welcome to the George Wilder Dooney Show on Blog Talk Radio out of the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois. Folks, we are in some trying times. We are in some dark times. We must fight for an America without hate. We must fight for an America without bigotry. We must fight for an America without racism. We must fight for our rights. We must fight to continue to be Americans. Some of those rights are being threatened taken away, but we have to get out here and fight the good fight, you know, and it has to be done, folks, it has to be in a non-violent way, we know how to do things non violent so let's go out and make our voices heard, fighting non-violently.
6: Last week, a poll was released showing that the United States has lost its global standing amongst other countries uh, to levels even lower than they were during the George W. Bush administration. Now, since that one poll came out, several other global polls have been released confirming that yes, around the globe, the United States image has fallen to about 30% approval rating and trust rating amongst uh, about 134 other countries around the globe. And there is a reason why people no longer trust us or respect us or look to us as leaders. And that reason, according to these polls, is because of Donald Trump. The reason America's image abroad has fallen is because of Donald Trump. His words, his words against uh, other foreign leaders, mayors in, in places like London. And uh, uh, his actions across the globe, his murdering of civilians uh, with with attacks overseas, that's why people don't like us. And this particular uh, uh, story that came out on the Washington Post talking about all these polls actually hits on a very good point. During the George W. Bush administration, when the global image of the United States began to fall, it sparked violence against Americans overseas, especially in areas that we had invaded and started unwinnable wars. The hatred against the United States is what sparked the resurgence of Al Qaeda that later on evolved and became Islamic State that we're currently fighting God knows where throughout the world. As long as Donald Trump is in office, and as long as people across the globe continue to start hating the United States, it's only going to further violence against American citizens and American troops all over the planet. That's what this does. We've seen it in the past, we saw it during the Bush years, and we're beginning to see it now. That is why this is important. Donald Trump and his America first policies may look good on paper. Hell, it's a great campaign talking point to idiotic supporters who don't know any better. But in the real world, where there's not just one country, where you have to be a global partner with everyone else to get things done, America first doesn't work. It is a very selfish and greedy and insular way of thinking, but that is what Donald Trump and his Republican supporters are. They don't give a damn about anybody else. They don't give a damn about the future. They just care about the right here, right now, what can I get out of this? And that's not any way to run a country, and we're seeing it now. We need our allies. We need them for trade, for support if we have to go into a war. We need them in case we need help financially. But Donald Trump is destroying that and it's getting worse every single month. And the worst part is his idiotic supporters don't seem to be able to understand that the United States cannot go it alone in this world. We need the support of everyone else. We need people to look up to us. And because of Donald Trump, they no longer do. You if you're thinking about subscribing to our channel, I strongly encourage you. was a bad year for the American public would be a very gross understatement at this point. Right at the end of the year, the Republicans decided to pass their disastrous tax cut package, which cuts a lot of uh, social programs for needy Americans in order to give the millionaires and billionaires of this country a $1.5 trillion tax cut. Republicans, the Republicans who supported this legislation, which is almost all of them in Washington, D.C., sold you out They sold out the entire American public because they know this is going to create a a disaster for the economy. It's probably going to lead us into a recession because tax cuts like this have led us into recessions every single time they've ever happened. But they did it. Even knowing that you're going to lose your health insurance, you're going to lose your Medicaid, you're going to cut back on Medicare, you could even lose your social security at this point based on their current plans. But again, they did it because they wanted to give their donors a tax break. They sold you out for campaign money. This year, we're in 2018 now, and we all know what happens in 2018. We have midterm elections in November. So we're 10 months away from being able to send Republicans a message, and that message is, you sold us out because you feared your donors, or more importantly, you feared Donald Trump more than you feared your voters, the people who put you in office in the first place. We control your future. We control your destiny, yet you decided to bow down at the altar of Trump, at the altar of big money, because you were more afraid of what he would do to you than what the voters would do to you at the voting booth. This year, in 10 months, we have the opportunity to show them that they made the wrong decision. We have the opportunity to show them that we're more powerful than the people who write the checks, and we are, and if you think that we're not, then you're part of the problem. If we show up in the numbers, we can change things in this country. We just saw it happen in the state of Alabama. Do you know why Doug Jones won? It wasn't because Roy Moore got busted for diddling kids. It's because people showed up.
0: Now on the air, it is all about making the world a better place. Join me. Jr. Show on Black Talk Radio. All right, welcome back to the George Water Jr. Show. We're just about off the air. I think we got about more, uh, a little less than five minutes, maybe. so uh, I want to say thanks, thanks everybody for tuning into the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with me. I, I feel a little bit better today. Um, uh, last week I was a little bit under the weather. That's one of the reasons why I missed the show. Uh <clears throat> yeah i had the flu we (laughs) i survived so far and i want to thank everybody for your good wishes your good thoughts and listening to the show and totally totally downloading uh, a book or a story or two from amazon thank you very much for that and uh we got we're going to be going ahead on into the show next uh this week next week great guest to be on the show so we're just about off the air, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I hope you got a lot out of it, because we did have Bernie Sanders was on a clip, obviously. And uh, some important things were said. And um, thanks for being a part of the show. If we could find, can we find it? Okay, thanks for being a part of the show, folks. I hope you join me tomorrow. It's going to be a great show, another great show on the George Wilder Jr. Show.
1: Oh. Heaven help the child who never had a home Heaven help the girl who walks the streets alone Heaven help the roses if the bombs begin to fall Troubles one more day. Heaven help the white man if he turns back away. Heaven help the Ever man who kicks the man with the claw. Heaven help the song.